0: Fun Parts is a show about, well, all our fun parts, but just a heads up that we'll be speaking pretty frankly about bodies, sexuality, spirituality, faith, and a host of other related topics. This episode includes references to sexual abuse and trauma, which may be difficult or triggering for some listeners. Also, you might not want to listen with your kids around. Finally, you can join the discussion on our Instagram page at Podcast.
1: So My many idea. things can caress that shape. <laughs> Whoa, baby! <laughs> I think Steve. Uh, Even I can't can be do a Steve really it sure as hell can't be Goodfellas dark. t-shirt. So. Low voice after dark with Steve and the Tifa. <laughs> as long as the <laughs> clink, mm.
2: ice in the doesn't
1: glasses. that feel nice? It feels it, so good, feels Steve. So good. <laughs> Something <good. laughs> wrong with these things.
2: <laughs> From Milieu Media Group. This is Fun Parts. An exploration of sexuality and spirituality for anyone who's curious or convinced there must be more. With your hosts Becky Patton, Latifa Alitas, Ashley Lusink, Luke Bronner, and me, Steve Weens.
0: Fun bars. I have a really distinct memory of being in middle school. And I was a youth group kid, and there was always like this work camp that the high school kids did where they like went and they did projects for people all week. And our youth director started one for us called Project Sweat. And I remember I was a part of the very first Project Sweat. And I had a really good friend who was also going, I think he was in, maybe he's eighth grade and I'm seventh grade or seventh and sixth, I don't know. But we went and we're at this person's house and we're like scraping paint off their house and trimming their bushes and stuff. And he's like off trimming bushes or something, and everybody started like circling around him. I'm like, "What is going on?" He was like, "I was his you know best friend there at this camp and when we got back on the bus, he opened up and he had found in the bushes this like torn out mm-hmm. ad or something out of the back of like a porn magazine. Mm-hmm. It was very small, it was black and white it was like newsprint I mean it was terrible quality, but it's this woman like naked and spread eagle mm-hmm. and That was the first exposure I ever had to anything explicitly pornographic. And I remember it now at 40 years old. How old were you again? Sixth or seventh grade. A little.
3: About 12. Yeah,
0: And was very, very confused about what I'd seen. Mm -hmm. Very confused.
3: I'm curious. Did that make you dizzy? Only because you've talked about your body responding? It probably did.
0: Yeah. I'm sure it did. What for sure would have had been if an adult found out that I had seen that. Not even if they caught us doing it, but if they found out that specifically that I had seen that, I know I would have been dizzy then. So,
4: Wow. Okay.
0: But yeah, I remember that really, really distinctly.
3: Hmm. Yeah. Anybody else remember when they first saw porn or what you would now label as porn? You didn't know then it was porn. I shared
1: the story on season one, but briefly if anybody missed it, I was also junior high, sixth grade Walked into my one of my best girlfriend's houses, who had a eighth grade brother, and he was watching porn with his buddies in the mm-hmm. living room, like after school in the afternoon, on like a VHS mm-hmm. tape, and it was a woman performing fellatio on a you know obviously on a penis, um, and that's a blowjob for people who don't know what fellatio is, but
0: or if you are more familiar with like Hebrew, it's <laughs> she <laughs> uncovered his feet. <laughs> that was
1: funny. <laughs> um, I walked in and saw it, and I remember being totally shocked. And then I remember that brother made fun of me and, like, in essence, held me in front of the television to watch it. And oh my God, I, I don't think so, I need that part. Yeah, yeah, that was. I remember when I was listening back. I was like, I didn't include that, but that was pretty traumatic for me. That was pretty uncomfortable. Of course, My very gosh. traumatic. And I could still tell you in detail, like the woman's hair color, the shape of her lips, like. Mm-hmm. I, it seared into my brain.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. I was in high school and I went to my friend's house and yeah, VHS tape and low quality. And a woman was performing fellatio on Mm -hmm. two or three or four different guys who were just around her in a circle. And honestly, that was just weird. Like, Mm -hmm. and I was in high school, so. You know, I had seen many movies that were very explicit, nine and a half weeks and stuff like that, you know. But that was just really odd to me. And I felt pretty gross. And like, these are my good buddies and we're just, good. you know, I'm like, what are we doing? Like, why, you know. And I think I just had got there and it was already happening. So I didn't like that. And there was nothing about that particular that was titillating to me it was just weird
4: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know i think for me it was in also in high school and i remember the first time was going to a a party (laughs) because you know one of those where like the parents are out of town and everybody just descends on this one house and going down to the basement i think because that's where the restroom was or whatever and there was a bunch of guys watching and i can still see i'm thinking it was a similar (laughs) I never said the word fellatio, mm-hmm. but that, and I can still see the whole room. Mm-hmm. It was all like the basketball guys. And then I remember going to, I think it was a state basketball tournament and being with the team and the guys were watching like porn in their hotel room. And that was the second time I saw it. So it was, I never consented to it. It was happening upon it, you know, and I think that's what's so interesting about it is like, it's a seared memory, yeah. mm-hmm. that scene. So
2: that is what I'm noticing about all four stories, is you know where you were. You can Mm -hmm. picture it in your mind. You can picture the lipstick or the hair color. What is that?
3: Part of what that is, is the brain responding to something that doesn't have a category to put it into. And I would say that that's actually a form of trauma. And so it gets seared into the brain and you have no language around it, right? None of you talked about somebody, you talked about somebody holding you there. You talked about You know, then you had to go to this basketball tournament, and what it does is it shifts your perspective. And without language, what happens is you don't have the brain is trying to find some place to categorize, put that. And so, I want to say, in a lot of ways, I think it actually is part of what sears it in shame because it's like I can't talk about this; I don't know what to do with this. So, the brain actually does have a response to it, but our body has experienced something. One of the things that I know is if you have an electronic device in your home, in your possession, everyone has actually viewed porn. Because what we have to recognize is porn is the exploitation, and I want to be careful here, porn is using the human body in a way to bring arousal and connection for people to pay attention. So even like at the car shows in Las Vegas, they specifically hire models that are of a certain breast size and a certain element of body shape to stand next to their more expensive cars so people get more interested in the higher end volume so they get more attention brought to them. So when we're defining what porn is – we have to recognize that it's all around us. But I don't think porn is a new thing. It's not. One of the things, when I was doing research for my book, I remember reading a quote, and I I don't remember exactly where I found it, but what the quote was, and it was back from the first century, and basically he said, I miss the mystery of a woman's body. The silk clings to her skin in a way that it leaves no mystery. And I was like, oh, well, what he's talking about is the way she's wearing something, it's lost the mystery. And so I had a daughter who lived over in Dubai for a while, and she actually studied in Egypt. And it was this beautiful, when she was talking to me about some of what she learned while she was over there, there's this beautiful reverence for the body. Now, I know there's a lot of Middle Eastern practices that I want to be really careful that are not healthy for the woman. And I'm, but there's this in covering their body, what they're doing is they're covering their body because they actually value it. Now there's a cultural construct there too, that I'm sure unpacking is a, another area. And I'm not an expert in that in any way, shape or form. But what I'm learning is, and I keep learning is that porn has this way of drawing us in and Part of it is we don't have a response for how to extricate or how to process that. And I know there's a there are a lot of people that, and I just have to say from my own experience, I don't use porn for arousal. That's just not, I don't do that. And I do that purposely. I mean, it's my choice. And I'm not here to shame anybody that does choose to do that. But what I think there's this element when porn becomes something that is a Numbing agent or an escape to, or this is the other language I hear a lot is my right. Mm. What my concern is is we've lost the curiosity of why we first went there, and a lot of times I really wonder. I mean, people say, "Well, I don't even have a choice. There's just that's the only thing option to me because I'm a single, and that's all I have." And and I'm like, "Well, is that the only choice you have?" And I don't think there's anything wrong with the body's desire. The porn industry knows what it's doing in how it weaves these stories and creates these sites. Mm -hmm. Because what it's actually trying to do is it's trying to actually make money. And it's creating an addictive behavior that um, is playing into the regular dopamine rush that we get from something that is tantalizing and exciting. But it's kind of exploiting something in the process of that because I think that's a... It's so easy now to pick up a phone, be in a room by yourself and do that. It used to all be in paper. You know, that it—that was the only way it was. And I just recently read something about the way it, if your first exposure to pornography is on paper or through a, a paper, like a magazine or something like that, it actually adheres in the brain differently than if it's electronic. That makes sense. Which is kind of interesting because we now live in such an electronic age And so it's not something that's going to go away. And I'm not here to have an answer for all of this. I'm here to say it's something that has to be talked about because there are ways that I continue to see it being destructive in relationships. And I just don't have many examples of it being productive. Did
1: you ever see the movie Don John with Justin Gordon-Levitt? Joseph. Is that his name?
0: Joseph Gordon-Levitt.
1: Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Sure. Absolutely. Scarlett Johansson's in it. Yeah. And the redheaded actress who's older, who's amazing and beautiful, irrelevant. The storyline is that he has a pretty sincere porn addiction. Like it shows him as this guy who's attractive and he kind of has to jack off to porn like every morning, every night. Like it seems the way the film postures it is like kind of multiple times a day. And then he finally meets like his perfect dime, which is like, you know, a woman who's a 10 and looks and it's Scarlett Johansson. And so there's this kind of like teasing mentality to their dating where he's like waiting and waiting and waiting to hook up with her. And at the same time, she's kind of trying to manipulate him by withholding sex to be the kind of man she wants him to be. So that'd be like, you need to get a job. You need to finish your college degree, you know, kind of all these things. So he ends up taking these night classes and he sits next to this older woman who's grieving a loss and they kind of become friends haphazardly. Well, The basic premise of the film, in my opinion, is that he finally gets to sleep with Scarlett Johansson, but he still needs to, like, continue, like, the porn thing over and over. And he's feeling really empty. Like, in his mind, if he got the woman that looked like the girl in the porn movie Mm -hmm. and had the kind of porn sex he wanted, then he'd be satisfied. He Mm -hmm. would have that connection. And what he ends up learning with the older woman in the class who you find out later, I think she's like grieving her husband's death or something like that, but they end up sleeping together, but she teaches him about connection. Mm -hmm. She teaches him about intimacy and it changes him.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: And it's a really interesting film. I mean, not everybody has to watch it, but I remember watching it and I wasn't expecting that Mm kind of like that messaging, if you will. And I've thought back to the times where I've consumed porn and the first time was on purpose. That was my choice was after my first big breakup with my first boyfriend and i was 22 or 23 and we had cinemax i was living in california and i it was like middle of the afternoon <laughs> and i was like i'm going to watch this like mm-hmm. i really want to know what this is all about and i was still a virgin at the time i had only jean jammed, you know several times oh it's all
4: Jean <laughs> keep them on. Keep your jeans on <laughs> Jean-Gem. <laughs> Jean-Gem.
1: Um, a lot of jean <laughs> jamming, but um, <laughs> and I, by several times I, anyway. I mean like gratu- well, I, I, gratuitous I jean <laughs> jamming. I've worn out multiple pairs of <laughs> jeans. <laughs> i had to buy a lot of jeans. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I, I watched this movie about this guy who's married to like a woman that has the quintessential porn star body and look, and then goes on a work trip and meets this woman in a hot tub and has this kind of like. All the sex he's been fantasizing about that his wife wouldn't give him, this woman would on this work trip, and then it's just like a. I mean, the storyline is really lacking. I mean, it's not very well written. Um,
0: I was <laughs> trying to think. Like, did it win awards? I'm trying to think. <laughs> yeah, of it. I definitely don't think no. it did.
1: But I remember watching it and feeling so like numb and sad. Mm-hmm. And my body did get stimulated. I would say a couple mm-hmm. times. And I just kind of was like observed it. But I just felt lonelier afterwards. Mm. And then I remember learning later, I didn't know at that time that when in porn, people are actually having actual sex. I still thought it was like movie sex. like Movie magic. Yeah. Like parts aren't going inside of other parts or anything like that. And then I was like, oh man, that really, maybe that changes it for me, you know, and and i still hadn't had my own actual sex experience and so i didn't really know how to still honestly contextualize what i was watching again i could tell you almost scene by scene what that movie looked like it's definitely seared into my mind mm-hmm. and then i would say after my divorce i you know was sad and depressed and definitely experienced loneliness and went from having you know pretty frequent sex to no sex at all and I had to learn about self-pleasuring and masturbation. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching some show and there was some sort of racy scene. It was like on Netflix or something. And I got really stimulated and I was like, oh, you know, and then I self-pleasured. And then I was like wondering, like, was that okay? Or like, what do I do? And then I got to a point for like a period of time where I started looking like on YouTube. I was too scared to go to like porn sites, (laughs) but I would look for things. So it would be like 1970s, like old porn movies that like would be up for like, they would disappear later. I don't know how it all works on YouTube, but like, and I would look at it and, you know, try to self-pleasure. And then after a period of time, I just observed that I felt really depressed afterwards, that Mm -hmm. self-pleasuring on my own without the addition of watching something, I always felt a lot happier after that experience. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, what I can just say personally is that I was really longing for connection. Mm -hmm. And when I invited porn into my self-pleasuring, I was voiding myself from connecting with myself Mm -hmm. because I was connecting with the content that I was observing or trying to, which felt empty because it was a screen. It wasn't a soul or a human being. And I realized that for me, at least when it involves pleasure, I like either interacting only with my own soul or with the soul of another one that I like love and trust and respect. And that's just something I've come to through some experience and through some trial and error. And we're not even really getting into like the things that you could be consuming that could be trafficking, which is really terrifying. But also like same thing, Becky, like I don't want to shame anybody who engages in porn Because the motivation for doing that, I would guess, is loneliness and the desire Mm -hmm. for connection. I also don't want to shame anybody in the industry because who knows what their story is and why they're there as well. But I don't think that it's really addressing the actual wound or the actual Mm -hmm. desire, at least I can speak from my experience, that it's posing that it can. Mm -hmm. And I will also say that I've had experience with men who've consumed... A lot of porn, and I think maybe feel indifferent about whether it's good or bad, and and that's their position. But it definitely affected our relationship, and that was really hard and painful for me. But yeah, I, I don't know. This is such a hard topic. I feel it clumsy, is hard I feel topic. clumsy around it, and so yeah. that's why I I really don't want to bring any shame. But I also think that like it's had an effect on my brain,
4: mm-hmm.
1: and I haven't like consumed it at an enormous rate, but the small times I've given myself permission to has had an effect on me. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious about
3: that. I think that part of it, I guess what I would want to define for us here is, or help maybe we can all define together is, why do we want to have this conversation? Why do we feel like it's important?
2: Well, I would say I got a question. Someone posed a question that's been listening to Fun Parts and they're in a relationship with someone who has used pornography a lot and would say there's an addiction there. And this person said, you've talked about masturbation on the show in a pretty healthy way. My question is, what about when it's related to pornography? And it's in our relationship, masturbation associated with pornography has not been a good thing. It's hurt our relationship. So one of the questions underneath that is, can we talk about masturbation a little bit the way you just did? There's a difference between self-pleasuring by yourself, you know, uh, without looking at images. And then there's the relational dynamic that happens. And over the years, I just, I guess now I'm going to admit my limited experience. I am a pastor. So people come to me in a pastoral context, you know, but I haven't met anyone who said, Uh, And I'm not trying to be flippant with this, but I haven't met any couple that said, man, pornography really has helped our relationship. Now, maybe that's true for someone. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But the people that I've talked to, it's been very, very painful. The use of pornography. And so there's the relational dynamic. Also, I've just talked to enough guys who are just so, they feel so much shame about the addiction and they, feel like they're just kind of powerless over it and they Mm -hmm. try so hard to stop can't or maybe do for a while. And then they, you know, and then the people I've talked to, they're like wives, for example, feel like you're cheating on me Mm -hmm. when you're looking at pornography. And that's a real deep betrayal. And then the guys are saying like, you don't really understand. No, I, I'm not. I'm, you know, I'm protecting I'm myself protect- from that. Yeah, from doing her. that. Yeah, yeah. And I think actually, what you just said, Luke, is a Christian male response. Is like, mm-hmm. well, looking at pornography is a whole lot better than sleeping with someone else. Mm-hmm.
1: It's not, still you not know. addressing probably the real wound. It's really not mm-hmm. at all.
2: And so, anyway, I think I just gave about seven answers. To yeah, your you
3: question did give why about seven t- answers. I'm just curious does it? anybody else have a reason why we're talking about this. I mean, I- I'm really
1: grateful in my current partnership that he and I are on the same page about our perspective, like on pornography. But when I was kind of like on the field, I guess you could say, <laughs> I realized that definitely was something that could be problematic. And mm-hmm. I, I wasn't sure how to even engage with it on like, when I start dating, like what if this is something that the person I'm interested in really, really enjoys and it makes me uncomfortable. Like what's the dynamic? And we talked a little bit on our after dark moment about that. But like, I think it's important to talk about because it is massively prevalent. Mm-hmm. And even in our episode previously, when we we're talking about kids and how to talk to kids about sex, mm-hmm. and you're like, well, we have to give them good information. There is information at the fingertips of everybody. And there's visualizations and acts of sex that they can mm-hmm. be witnessing in different kinds of sex with different kinds of people and different ways. And I think that information is coming down the pike. And so like it's going to affect everybody. Mm-hmm. I just feel like it It would be ignorant to not address it, mm-hmm. even though it's complex and can feel overwhelming.
0: Yeah. I think it's similar to the conversation we had on the last episode where rather than provide people with the resources to make a, an educated decision, mm-hmm. we say, here's the rule. Don't break it. Right. Mm. And the rule is, porn is bad, don't do it.
1: It's like they don't look up the skirt.
0: Don't look up the skirt, (laughs) which makes you want yeah. Yeah. I also think it's important. I mean, I mentioned previously that like I did some work in the social media world working for an organization that's anti-human trafficking and really on the ground, like boots on the ground with that work. And so I've seen the ways in which porn is connected to the human trafficking world. And I think that's a thing that most people aren't aware of I think it's important for us to talk about the idea, especially in the, I mean, I, I know of couples who use porn together and would say that it's a benefit to the relationship. But I also want to say that like, while you may believe that you cannot say that it does not affect your worldview. You can't say that you don't walk out of your home and it also affects, it may do wonderful things for your sex life. I don't know. But it also is affecting your relationship to other people, to other Mm -hmm. men, to other women, to your like the habit of objectifying human beings, Mm -hmm. to the ways in which you support and prop up capitalism. I mean, there's a whole lot of things that this gets into. The last one I'll say, especially in the case like you mentioned of a couple where one person is actively using pornography and the other is not that it gets back to consent. And it's like once you invite a person to share a sex life, their consent extends beyond simply what you are allowed to do with their body and what you do to arouse yourself or to like soothe yourself or whatever is their business. And their consent is still necessary. You know,
1: the only thing I'm thinking about, and this is not my current situation, but just my monkey brain is like, I do feel like if I'm engaged with somebody in a relationship and we're discovering each other in an intimate sexual way, the thing I'd want to prevent is the idea that like I control you or you control me. I see it more as like we're coming to the table with our vulnerable true selves to be present with each other. And if my partner is like, which is, this is not my current partner, but I'm just like, posing like mm-hmm. I really enjoy porn or I, if you leave town, like I want to self pleasure and this is one way that I enjoy that. I'd want to have a conversation about it without being like, I wouldn't want to like draw any big lines the way you were even talking about talking to kids. Like, there's a point where it's my choice to stay in the relationship or not based mm-hmm. on their behavior. But I would, mm-hmm. I personally would not want to feel like I control what my partner does. I just need them to be honest with me about what they are doing so that I can actually have real consent about what's happening between us. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, yeah. I, that's I don't just how think, I feel.
0: I don't think that's the case. In 99.9% of those scenarios where I think that if you have one partner who is using porn, knowing that that is a problem for the the other other person, then like... They're not being honest They're not being honest. Those conversations aren't happening, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know. And I I still think like that consent does extend, in my opinion, into this part of a relationship.
1: I guess I would just use the word honesty because consent is the only... I can only control the consent for myself and the things I do. And so I'm hoping that the person I'm engaged with is honest. So it, it gives me a choice whether to I want to stay involved or not. And I think the reason why people probably shield I'm using porn is shame. Potentially, Becky?
3: Oh, hmm? I would
4: 100%. There's so many different ways we can go now. Did you have something yeah. you wanted to add here too? One thing I've been thinking about is how just in different contexts and things I've read lately. And I think this book that you have on the table, Come As You Are. By yes.
3: By Emily Nagosi. Which is a brilliant book. It's Her... fun to listen to, though. I will yes, say. she's It's really fun to listen to because then she's, when she's talking about orgasm and stuff like that, you're kind of going, oh, oh. Mm-hmm. I, think I kind of feel something there. Oh, wait, yeah. wait, okay. Let's, let's and concentrate on the you get the used book. to hearing it's, it's the word really clitoris fun. multiple times. You do. Yeah. Sorry. Yes, sorry, sorry, Luke. <laughs> you
0: can, uh, you know, you don't have to look at me when you say it. Like, I'll get uh, the
4: I'll get, joke. I'll get to well, my uh, point here. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> No, but I think she does this really beautiful job of talking about how, because I noticed as we went around the table and we we're sharing these things, people talking about a porn star's body, mm-hmm. like kind of came up oh, as we were talking about this, yeah. you know, but I mean like, and you get what we were just sharing, yeah. right? And so we have an image of what that body is and how it's a very narrow view and there's so much more mm-hmm. to what, like, and how many people are actually manipulating their bodies right. to mm-hmm. look like. What they believe a well, porn star. Well, and they're
3: using camera angles and they're using right. filters yeah. and they're using different directors or taking different. It affects body. So and it's, yeah. I, right. I'm just saying yes. it, it really is at the court. So yeah. that's, that's one yeah. thing too. There's a book that I really want to recommend that I think is how porn rewires the brain and okay. it's by Dr. William Struthers. Here's the thing is I want to say right now, I don't have a lot of resources that I've been able to find in science of how Porn for women restructures their brain, but there has been more study done on men's brains, and that's I think part of it is because men's brains have a bit more compartmentalization to them, so they're a little bit easier to find and study. And women, because their brains are their more interconnected. It's harder to study. There's more places it can hide, I want to say. Mm. So there's not a, like the consistent pathways. And so I think that's something that has to play in here. Men and women's brains actually do have a different wiring. They're close to the same, but they have a little bit different wiring, how the two sides of the brain actually talk with one another. But one of the things he has in there, I don't have the book right here to make the quote exactly, but it's something like this. When a man engages in Pornography as a regular form of viewing women, it objectifies women in the stance that it changes how they view women altogether. In real life. Like, so it changes, instead of a woman being about, oh, there's this beautiful creature that I get to have this friendship with and I look at, the brain is looking through the stance of, she's an object for me. Wow. And I just think it's something we just, that's science and science is studying the brain, how it's actually changing men's brain structure. Now, the thing that I'm hopeful for, or I wouldn't even be doing what I do, is the reality is the brain is malleable. And that means it can keep changing up until it no longer has oxygen and we then we die. So there's always hope of healing. And I can't tell you how many people have been through so many different programs And I'm not bashing the programs. I think there are great recovery programs that are probably out there. But most of the programs' first focus is totally on behavioral modification without getting at the root cause of it. Now, there's a place for some behavior modifications if you're, you know, masturbating repeatedly and using porn. And there are ways we can go. You know, it might be good to kind of see if you could stop a little bit of that. Because there are people who have actually wounded themselves physically using porn as a form. And anyway, so that is a possibility. But part of what I think for us, because everything we do, we're talking about, can we get to the heart? Can we get below that? So while I do believe there are behavior modifications, I don't think behavior modification solves the deeper heart issue. It can help, maybe, but I don't think it solves it. And what I see repeatedly, and this is where I'm like, it makes me sad that because I deal mostly with people that are in have religious theology that they're trying to deconstruct some form of not that is in their relationship of how they view. And so much of it comes to porn is something that services. It, it is creating a wound in the relationship that people don't know how to repair. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of men feel like, I'm just trapped in this. I can't. I have no control of it. I feel like somebody else. It like takes over and it's just, I can't. And I will say, porn has a addic- It is addictive. It doesn't mean that everybody who watches porn and feels like they have no control of it is a sex addict though. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a big difference when people start taking that on as an identity. Mm. Some of the Best conversations I've had with men around this is like, okay, yeah, okay, I hear you saying you've got us, you're dealing with a sexual addiction. That's not your deepest identity. Mm-hmm. There's an identity in you that is much deeper than that. Can we explore who you truly are? Can we explore who you are? And I had a guy one time say to me, he's been through four programs, he's been through all this treatment, and he goes, nobody's ever asked me who I really am. Mm. And he's struggling. He's doing his work. But there again, I think we focus so much on the trance. Something has to be transformed in us in order for us to be made whole. And I tend to approach porn as, I think porn is a portal. I don't think porn's even the enemy. I think there are some horrific things things done in trafficking. And that's part of why I choose just because of the lack of humaneness in the sex trafficking world. It's not that I haven't ever used porn. I have at certain times in my life. Mm-hmm. And I but I what I do impacts someone else out here. Yeah. And that someone else out there may be somebody I don't even know. Oh, yeah. And I want to be about the care mm. of people. And so my biggest struggle with porn is it has become such a numbing element Mm. that we're not actually getting below the behavior and into the real pain that's actually driving the behavior. And that's why I want to get curious with people. Mm. Could we look at porn as instead of looking at it as the enemy? Mm. First and foremost, because that's, I mean, there's so much shame in that. It's, Mm. I did it three times this week. I just want to let you know. Oh, okay. Do you need something from me on that? Well, that's a good job for me, right? okay, so you need to be affirmed for that. Okay. I can affirm that felt good for you. Mm. And it feels good for you to be affirmed. I said, can we pause and notice that, that you need my affirmation for that? Can we get curious about that? Mm. And it's like, oh, why do I need your affirmation for that? And I'm not saying it's that simple, but I think sometimes we have to quit looking at the porn industry as the villain. Mm. Porn is an opportunity. For us to actually be curious about something deeper. And I I think in religion, we're looking for something that will fix this. And I'm wondering what it'd be like for us to say, hey, can I walk with you in this? Into some of those deeper places? And can I share a story? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh why do I get emotional when I do this? Cause it like, it takes me back to those moments. I had a number of years ago when I was first starting in this area where I just knew that I was being called to step into really hard places with people. And I'd only done it a couple times. I got a call from someone out of state and there was a pastor that had gotten deeply involved in porn and also had had an affair. And so the church brought me in and had me, I met with the board, I helped them set up how are they going to do this with, I just had conversations with the pastor, with his wife. I had conversations with the board. I had conversations with the congregation. And I just kind of became involved in this congregation. And one of the things that I found in this is the humanity of the people involved was much deeper than the construct of what the church said was right and wrong. And this community came around this pastor in a way, and this pastor stood in such a courageous, I want to say this man stood as such a courageous way of facing some of these things, of facing these demons that were inside of him. And his wife stood in a very courageous way, and she began to fight for something instead of fighting against something. Mm. And she was willing, I want to say she was an incredible hero, but I want to say this man was an incredible hero, too. But I remember at one point in the process when we were, I was out there visiting him and I said, hey, could I go to the strip club with you? And he looked at me and he goes, what the fuck? No way am I taking you to the strip club. And I said, I hate to see you going there long. And. I even, even as I was saying that, I thought, what the hell are you saying, Becky? Mm. And oh my God, I need to call my husband right now. I can't believe I said this. And yet there was something in me that knew it was the right thing to say. And I would have walked through that door with him. I know I would have walked through that door and I would have stood next to him and I would have held a space of sacredness around that man because I knew he was good. I knew it to my core, he was good and that there was more in him. I sometimes think that the thing we fear most is that somehow this disease is contagious. Mm. And I think what it is more than anything, it's looking for people that are willing to go into really dark places with one another and know that if I walked in there, I am still surrounded by light. I am holding something that is good about that man. That's why I wanted to walk in there. And for him, and I I can't tell his side of the story, but he's an amazing man. And he's done incredible work. He and his wife both have and their community has done amazing work. And what I see to this day is there was a willingness for him to go into the darkness, to see what it was that he kept trying to get from something. Mm -hmm. And instead, he found his soul. It expanded his capacity to see God because he wanted to see something that was more and he found the more in him because can you imagine being the one who blows up a community or blows up your marriage and then suddenly you have to keep walking back into that? And everybody knows that about it because it was very public. Everybody knows that about it. And he kept walking back. And every time he kept walking back, there was an element at one point I had a conversation with him and he says, I feel so free. Everybody knows my shit. I feel so free. (laughs) And he learned how to be with. he is still to this day with people in their dark spots. There's life in him. There's life in her. It has had a huge ripple effect.
2: Thank you so much for sharing that. My observations are number one, this couple got honest about what really was happening.
3: 100%. With
2: themselves, but also with their community in a really risky way. They contracted you to help. They both found moments where they could have quit, but they didn't. And maybe they did quit and then they, you know, mm-hmm. unquit, you know, because yeah. I think in this journey, that's what you do. I don't, I don't think there's anyone that just, and then they just kept doing the work and they kept being honest and they weren't, it sounds like it, there was no quick fix. Certainly. There was no, and there quick was fix. no like, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm still, you know, tempted to do this, and I'm still maybe doing this at some point. Yeah, that's a journey that, you know, even for anyone who's like terrified, you can't do all that at once.
3: Nor can you do it alone.
2: Nor can you do it alone. So how?
0: how, Nor can you do it dishonestly. That's I mean, it's the help. It's the
3: you've got to be honest. The community. It's
0: the asking for help, Mm. and it is. To being
3: honest. You guys, and he lost his career. Lost his job. Lost his job. It was not without pain. Right. But there were people who still chose to come close and weren't afraid that the pain was something that they would get as a disease. And that's what I think so often when we hear the word porn, we want to give a quick fix. And I just don't think there's a quick fix to this. It's an engagement it's sitting with those longings. its I can't tell you, I got off that plane when I flew into that town, and I remember going, what the hell have I said yes to? <laughs> and I was like, and I literally prayed a prayer of my life. I said, oh, I can turn around and get back on the plane and go home. And I heard, for me, I know it was a voice that came outside of me, and all I heard is, I got this, I'm here. Will you just show up?
4: Hmm.
1: There's so much that I appreciate about that story. I'm having some complex feelings Mm. about other parts of it. And one of the complex feelings I'm having is that still like sex, porn, purity is so powerful that this man's job is destroyed and his community abandons him. And I think that that is still another remnant for me of Mm -hmm. purity culture doing what purity culture does. Mm -hmm. which is isolates and demonizes people who are having areas in their sexual life that are maybe causing destruction, maybe Mm -hmm. causing harm either to themselves or to the people around them. But sex is such a a fire starter Mm -hmm. that it has like the ability to destroy someone's community and job and I'm not saying that we should not be responsible for the things that we do with our bodies that affect other people's bodies or dehumanize somebody else in the process. Mm -hmm. I absolutely want to honor the humanity of everybody involved. But I'm listening to the story and I'm thinking, I have heard a lot of stories like this. I mean, Mm -hmm. I toured, led worship for years and saw pastors just kind of fall by the wayside Mm -hmm. one by one for sexual impurity or for cheating or having an affair. And, you know, those are not things to take lightly, but like, I think I'm just, I'm sitting here and I'm wrestling because I guess I'm what I'm asking, what I hear in that story without knowing anybody personally is I'm hearing someone who had kind of like you just said, a really deep longing. It sounds like for connection or maybe fulfillment that they weren't able to find a remedy for. And so they thought it was going to be in like porn or strip clubs. And that was at a great cost, that behavior to him. And it sounds like maybe he's found a way to address his core wounds without mm. those things. Cause that I think you said it really beautifully last night where you said something like, you know, there's a an illness or a wound or a lacking, but like porn isn't the medicine. Or how did you mm. say it last night?
0: Porn's not the disease, but it's also not the medicine. Yeah.
1: Mm. And like and I think that I don't know, I'm just having complex feelings about it. Could you help me? Like I'm I'm just well, trying just to just a little bit I mean yeah. I think
3: I I, I want to be always I'm so careful when I'm telling I things, know because I want to protect people and, and their I want stories. You yeah, and the thing about this is the community did not abandon him. Yeah, the community said you need to step down from this role. Yeah, and I actually think that was an important piece mm-hmm. because sometimes we have pastors, and I think especially we have pastors in a certain role that they can't be human. Mm. And that's not – That's not okay. That is never okay. Yeah. Pastors are human. Pastors are in process. I mean, the day my pastor decides that he's got all the answers, I'm out.
0: Yeah. Hear that, Steve? <laughs> 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 Thankfully. You're taking Thankfully. notes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing because I just can't even count the amount of conversations we've had where it's so obvious I don't have all the answers. But <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, no but I'm but that I is I, what you're saying can mm-hmm. I jump in though yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. well one thing I think let's see if you are saying oh my gosh here it is again we, yeah we demonize yeah. the sexual sin air quotes or or real sin uh, over and above so many other things and that's there's something there just to notice mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. saying that community did right or wrong or just and I appreciate that noticing I also would say yes like when pastors go through this stuff the layers of <sighs> shame. And now no one looks at you the same. And rightly or wrongly, you know, you cannot just keep getting up in that pulpit and preaching in the Mm -hmm. midst of, you know, at the very least, you'd have to take a break. I mean, uh, maybe not get fired. Maybe you do. But it's so complex. But also some pastors need to be given the gift of losing their job so that they can Mm -hmm. remember that they're human beings. And that's painful, Right, And I want
3: to but, say for this guy, he did get back in the pulpit wow. at one point yeah. just to preach to the community and say, thank you for walking with me. Mm-hmm. It totally. was unbelievable, redemptive. It was powerful. There's something good about it. But Steve, to the point of what you're saying is painful losing your job. But I think it was a gift.
0: The hard part and the, the way that I'm kind of resonating with you, Latifa, the complexity that I feel around that is that like... Yes, that may have been the best thing for that man. But the vacancy that's left when he's pulled.
3: Oh my gosh. The,
0: what, what I mean yeah. is that, and I'm not even just saying like that vacancy affects other people. What I'm saying is that like, you still prop up that position. Yeah. And maybe this just gets into my ecclesiology and it's less about pornography. And I'm just saying that like, the idea that we remove someone from that role in the church because of some moral failing as we perceive it, it means that, oh, like, well, that's going to be part of whoever we hire next. They're going to have that part of their life yeah. together, and mm-hmm. that
2: and it's you're just swing well, way over to the other there side. There is no of humanity
0: yeah. allowed. There's, still, just because you allow that person to still remain in the community or yeah. to, it doesn't mean that you have changed the system. You're right.
1: Yeah, it's just like an imbalance of power on some level. But like one thing that I, I'm just like sitting here, kind of listening to my body and thinking about is. When we're talking about porn, and we've talked a lot about presence in this season, being present with our body, being present with another, in the act of intimacy in sex, in emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy, I think a question that is even just good for me to ask myself is, when I'm engaging in this act of sexual intimacy, whether it be alone or with a partner, is it at a cost or expense of somebody else? Mm
4: -hmm.
1: I've never thought of this before. I'm having this new idea in this moment. <laughs> Maybe somebody else has had this idea too, but like, because I really want to be additive to the healing experience of humanity. And, you know, sometimes there are things we do that create costs, but I have found in the positive exchanges of intimacy that I've had with someone I trust that it is very additive.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And in the positive experiences I've had in self-pleasuring that is at as comforting, like we talked about comfort in season one. And I had that, Mm -hmm. it's like you, you gave words to my experience and it brought me so much joy to know that I wasn't just scratching an itch with masturbation, that I was comforting myself Mm -hmm. and I was giving my body something it needed because I was loving and caring for myself. And so when I think about porn, I'm just, is there an expense to the person behind the screen? Is there an expense to the person taking the money and who knows what they do with it? Is there an expense to me? Is there an expense to my brain? Is there an expense to my partner? Is there an expense to the way I will view somebody in the future? I mean, I just, this is just interesting to me in this moment and it's something Mm -hmm. else I'm observing. And so I think when we talk about having opinions about other people's Mm -hmm. choices, It's just maybe an interesting question to pose because what they're longing for is connection, probably Mm -hmm. not at the expense of somebody else. But they're not thinking about that.
0: I want to say that's a resounding yes. And I've been thinking about this the whole time we've been talking is that like you can find a million different ways to say, no, actually porn is good for me. I'm using it in a healthy way. My family's using it in a healthy way. My wife and I, my spouse and I, my partner and I, whatever. But – We're recording this in a season where we're having to remind people that you wear a mask on your face, not just to protect yourself, but to protect everyone else. Mm -hmm. And what I would say is like, maybe porn's great for you, but please do go into that with the awareness that you are supporting and propping up an industry that preys on vulnerable people. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of people who are either consuming pornography, who are addicted to pornography who are maybe even participating in producing pornography are desperately lonely. Mm -hmm. And there are wounds there Mm -hmm. that we are allowing to continue that we are perpetuating by giving our, our money and our time and our attention to the capitalization of sex. This episode of Fun Parts was produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Braun. Our artwork was designed by the very talented Alan Lusink. Gene Jam was composed and produced by Latifa Alatas, and other music from this episode is from the fine folks at Blue Dot Sessions. Check out our website at funpartspodcast.com, and be sure to follow us on social media at FunPartsPodcast. Lastly, if you want access to bonus and behind the scenes content from this and other Milieu Media Group shows, join our neighborhood at the Patreon link in the show notes. And now, here's a scene from the next episode of Fun Parts.
3: one of the hardest things in relationship is, wait, I had my turn, now it's your turn and one of the things I think that I am finding deeper and I'm learning in deeper ways is to let pleasure be pleasure and one of the things I have repeatedly found, I can't tell you how many times I've had this conversation with men sitting there next to their wives and they're saying but it brings me such pleasure to see you get pleasured and I don't know how else to say this but can we just believe that?